When you're ready, let's start this game. Welcome to BCPL Unstacked, where we unstack literary news, share what we are reading slash watching, and cool things happening with the Bay County Public Library and the Northwest Regional Library System. Hi, this is Sarah. And I'm Stephen. And we are welcoming you again to our little show here. I hope you like it. If you don't, maybe you'll grow to like us. Please like and subscribe. Like and subscribe? (laughs) Download it to all your RSS feeds. (laughs) Make this so that we can continue to be employed. Because this is the only thing that's keeping us employed. (laughs) We're good without the podcast. However, we want to keep doing the podcast. So. Oh, what my boss said to me this morning. Oh, wow, you're doing better than me. Yeah, I am. So what are we doing this? This uh, We didn't tease anything last time, I don't no, think. No, we forgot. We, we, we're wrapped up in our conversation. We had a guest. We were entertaining. Uh-huh. Just to get us up to speed, I think this time we're talking about the oppressiveness of summer. The dog days of summer. Yes, the dog days of summer, which... That uncomfortable moment in summer was just hot. <laughs> and I didn't realize it was in connection to the serious stars being visible during July 22nd through August 22nd of this year. And it's tied in with Greek and Roman astrology. There's heat, there's mad dogs, there's bad luck. So here we go. I love it. Let's start off with some literary news. You want to go first or you want me to? You can go first. First thing I want to touch on. Because we've mentioned this so many times. Where the crawdads sing. Mm -hmm. So, Swamp Murder. Delia Owens. I've said that they're making a movie. Mm -hmm. They have found a director. Oh my goodness. They have found a director. So, uh, Olivia Newman will direct this movie. And Reese Witherspoon, as I said before, is producing it along with a Lauren Neustetter. But Olivia Newman, she has a Netflix movie out right now called First Match. And so she has now been chosen to be the director of Where the Crawdads Sing. So we're probably looking at, I don't know, with how things are working. Yeah, with the filming schedules. 2022, maybe? That sounds about right. I'm just going to kind of get shifted a little bit. Maybe we'll get lucky. I bet it's going to be beautiful. And of all the films to do during COVID, there's not a lot of characters. So maybe, and it's all outdoors for the most part. So maybe it'll be a little easier so, to So to I'm shoot. hearing an optimistic 2021. I'm optimistic, however, it's probably more realistic to do 22. Okay. Well, that was a quick news story. Go. Okay. Well, I have another um, kind of entertainment-focused news story. And uh, let's see. Keanu Reeves. I, I am familiar with this gentleman. Is writing... Uh, he is, I believe he's writing a couple things. I've heard a comic book. This is what I wanted to to point out. He's writing a 12-issue comic series. He's teaming up with Boom Studios graphic novelist Matt Kent and illustrator Alessandro Vita. Vita? Alessandro Vita. To create Berserker, B-R-Z-R-K-R. Um, have you heard of Berserker? I have not. So it's super violent. The lead warrior, who happens to look like Keanu, is half mortal, half god. He's been on the world for thousands of years, and now he works for the government to do dangerous tasks. Half mortal, half god, all sexy. Very Keanu Reeves. 
and is releases this October. Oh, well, so he's uh he's already then well into it then, probably. Yeah. Because I mean, a lot of times with comic books, you got to give the the artist a few months lead time. So they they must be working on this for a while. I guess a lot of people have some free time just <laughs> being locked away. But I thought that was really cool. I've I've been paying attention to him a lot lately right now just because, hey, he's Keanu Reeves, mm-hmm. and here we are, and I'm, I believe it's been pushed back, but I was all excited about the part three to the Ultimate Trilogy, Bill and Ted. Yes. Where Bill and Ted were going to face some music, and I think that's been pushed back, so. Yeah, I don't know what the new release date for that one is, because... It mentioned something in the article I was reading about this, but I didn't pick up the dates. And then I also saw that he was trying to get some interest generated for making a sequel to a movie that was frowned upon when it came out, but it's definitely got a little bit of a cult following now. Uh, he wants to do a sequel to Constantine. I never watched Constantine. Oh, it's it's fun. It's based off of the Hellblazer uh, comic series. Okay. Um, John Constantine, he is a exorcist slash magician who is fighting to save everybody's souls, but mostly his own because he's done some horrible things and he knows where he's going to end up uh-huh. at the end. So he's trying to rebalance his scales. I think Keanu Reeves is like our favorite assassin slash bad guy, but he's a good guy. He's like a good bad guy. I, 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 all I can picture is that sad picture of him eating that sandwich on the bench. <laughs> but I, I, from what I understand, he has had a very tragic life. I've heard that as well. And based on that, he now goes out to make everybody happy. He does a great job. We we all love Keanu Reeves. The next news story I want to talk about is there has been circulating a video here recently of called In the Event of Moon Disaster. And it's been put out by MIT. Okay. Uh, they have put together, there was a, back in the 69, 1969, obviously we were in a space race with, uh, with Russia, and we were sending Apollo 11 up to the moon, and obviously there was three astronauts going up, two of them were going to stay and land on the moon, the other one was going to circle. And they successfully got there, successfully returned. However, uh, if you're planning for all eventualities, there was a speech written for Richard Nixon, and one of these speeches was in the event of moon disaster. He never had to give it because there was not a moon disaster. So MIT uh, and the MIT Center for Advanced Virtuality has is trying to show us the dangers of deep fakes. Gotcha. So they have created a live press conference that has been quote-unquote discovered featuring Richard Nixon giving the speech that he would have had to give if things had gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So I just made Sarah watch a video of it. Uh, you can search it on the uh, the internets. And it's, like I said, it's called In the Event of Moon Disaster. And if you didn't know the history of the moon landing and you saw that. I would probably think that's what happened. Yes. Though I, I guess he wrote it for if two had gone. But, but he I, never recorded that. That's all he it never is, recorded. Is a, if you look in the archives, all it is is a, a written speech. A document. It's a document. He never went before live cameras, but they have been able to edit. They, they're creating and... this project, and the the essential of it is it's to show the dangers of misinformation. And there's a deep fake where they've taken video 
of Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. and they've modified it just slightly to have the the lips move in just the right way to match up with the the speech given. They hired a voice actor in this particular case to gotcha. to read the speech to simulate people doing and saying things that they never did, typically without their consent. Wow, and it's very timely because. In the time of the pandemic, there's also the infodemic, Mm -hmm. which kind of parallels with fake information being spread. Which is kind of where I wanted to go with this, is because as the library is designed to not just entertain, but we're here to inform and educate. And in a world where there's so much happening all around us that if I see it on the internet, it's true. I'm pretty sure Abraham Lincoln said that or something. I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah. But... I kind of wanted to just touch on this because it brought this into the full forefront where you can actually see just how easy. easy well, I don't know if it was easy. I think they took six months to make oh this. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but there's a lot. I mean, if you search deep fakes, have you ever wanted to see what uh, Robert Downey Jr. would uh, look like if he was in Back to the Future instead of uh, Michael J. Fox? It's out there. Wow. In a world where so much of our information comes through computers, we need to be aware that we need to check sources. We need to make sure that we are paying attention to to what we're consuming and not just accepting everything as it is, because this is a very believable video. How do you protect yourself from fake news? How do you protect yourself from this false information that's out there? Uh, and I've got a couple, let's see here, three, six, nine different tips here that I think will help us all. Well, I want to know more. (laughs) Um, Does the headline sound unrealistic? Because if it does, it probably is. Don't believe everything you read. Yes. I mean, a lot of things now are just designed to get you to click on it, and they have nothing to do with the actuality of what you're actually reading. They're just an opinion piece. It's not a news story. Don't get suckered in by that. Um, Check the URL if if we're online. Um, Does it have any old odd suffixes or um, substitutions? Because if so, odds are it might be taking you somewhere that somebody, if it's not a mainstream kind of thing and like that you dot haven't seen .gov is really good. Mm-hmm. .edu is usually really good. There's, is that kind of? Yeah, that's kind of where we're going with of, this. So if it's like .net, you're like, eh, let's avoid .net. Um, check the author's credentials. You don't want anonymous news reports. I mean, unfortunately, we live in a world where everything seems to be unidentified source said this, unreal, you know. So My cousin said this on Facebook. It must be true. Mm-hmm. The number of, let's get you paranoid and scared. Hey, is there a zip tie over your, your, uh, your side mirror when you go into a parking lot? Somebody's using that to get you while you're trying to get that off your, your, your mirror. They're going to come up and kidnap you and throw you in a van. My cousin told me that it tried to happen to her when she was shopping at that undisclosed box store. Yeah, fear works really well with misinformation. It does. Um, make sure the headline and pictures match the content. That makes sense. So if the headline is showing you, I, I saw one the other day. I forget whose face it was, but it was, it was for Law & Order. That's what it was. Somebody was getting fired off of Law and Order, and they had the gentleman who plays Elliot Stabler's face up there, and it was talking about, you know, Law and Order person fired for uh, sexual misconduct, and it had Elliot Stabler's face up there. And when you're reading through the article, it's some guy who's, you know, was on the writer's staff, never on the show, 
But my first thought was, oh, man, that guy. I know that guy. I've seen that guy. But it wasn't that guy. Misleading. It is. You always want to consult and compare competing sources. Yes. I always try for like three articles. So if I can find like three things that are from credible sources, I feel pretty good about it. Um, You want to use places like Snopes, Politico, and uh, PolitiFax to uh, cross-reference your your stories to see if they are fact-checked correctly because... There's nothing more aggravating than getting all worked up and then going, well, that's not true. Dig deeper, follow up on cited sources and quotes. Beware of online filter bubbles that show you only items that are similar to items that you have liked. Because it can kind of throw you down a rabbit hole that's the wrong rabbit hole. (laughs) Our technology is designed to pull information from you to get things to target you with ads. we, We joke in my house that our phones are definitely spying on us because we'll talk about something and then just a few minutes later that facebook ad will pop up linking somehow to it or a news story that's you know but it's it's pulling our cookies it's pulling our websites it's pulling our amazon stuff we don't have to worry about being spied on by the government we have given permission to darn near every website darn near every service that we subscribe to to do it already Mm -hmm. and be open-minded Ask questions, question reality, don't let them mislead you with their fakeness, and don't let yourself get tricked by seeing Richard Nixon talking about how Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong are lying dead on a moon. The moon landing happened. Everything was okay. (laughs) Well, I'm not going that far. I'm not going that the moon landing happened. We all know that Kubrick (laughs) had a sound studio somewhere in Las Vegas, and he filmed everything. There's reflections in the helmets. The flag is blowing. Hashtag the moon landing was fake. It wasn't. Oh, dear. But yes, deep fake stuff is... It's it's rampant. It is, and it's gotten really bad. I mean, I would pay to see Robert Downey Jr., a young Robert Downey Jr. in Back to the Future. It would have been an interesting choice. I love Michael J. Fox. I think those movies are beautiful, but I love the possibility of other things. And these kind of technologies that we have now make it super easy to do it. I didn't even think about the faking of the videos. Um, I know that sometimes I'll take clips and just show you a little portion of the clip and take it out of context. So that's also to be something to be wary of and see if you can find the whole clip because it might reveal a little bit more. I love ghost stories. I love conspiracies. I love, you know haunted things. I don't believe in any of them, but I love them. <laughs> and I was watching a, it had popped up on my feed, Coast to Coast Radio, which is a supernatural slash uh, strange events kind of radio show. And they were showing a video that had a quote unquote teleporting child in it. Oh my gosh. But what it really is, is they were interviewing some lady in front of a store uh-huh. and they edited the video to match what she, they wanted her to say. They just took, you know, comp- took out entire mm. sections. And in one spot where they took her voice from saying one thing and then took her saying something else, nobody paid attention to what was going on in the background. And a child had walked into the scene. And so suddenly there's a child there and walking out. So things are edited. Things are never what they seem to be sometimes. <laughs> Be smart. Do your research. I mean, realistically, Sarah and I aren't even real people. I'm three cats in a trench coat. This is true. This is not a conspiracy. Definitely three cats in a trench coat. (laughs) Well, this kind of leads nicely into a segment I have. All right, so I wanted to feature some notable authors who now have their own podcast. And I have three different podcasts to feature that started after COVID-19. The one that relates to your story is The Last Archive. This is with historian and notable author Jill 
Kapoor. She's written The Secret History of Wonder Woman and so many other titles. The last archive is The Search for Who Killed the Truth. And each episode goes into a different subject and it's fascinating. She really does dig into the archives. There's historical reenactments, kind of like an old 1930s radio show. And the episodes have different focuses from unsolved murder, a lie detector test, to the loss of migratory birds, and the polio epidemic. For the next podcast, um, this one is also history related because I kind of like history. John Meacham's Hope Through History podcast. And he's a Pulitzer Prize winning author, John Meacham. He has a long list of titles and most of them related to American history. His next title is going to be released in August. His Truth is Marching On, John Lewis and the Power of Hope, which is very timely for right now. But the podcast itself is a really nice length. It's well organized. And his voice is really relaxing. Each episode also varies in historic subject matter, ranging from the 1918 epidemic to Winston Churchill. And each episode is super uplifting, providing hope when comparing our current super overwhelming time in history, even though there were other super overwhelming times in history. There's tons of them. It's like it's like it always happens. And when we don't have something happening, we go out of our way to make it happen. Yes. But there's hope. There is. There's hope. And I have one more. Uh, the last podcast I want to feature is Brene Brown's Unlocking Us. Brene Brown is the author of Daring Greatly, who teaches us to live more vulnerably and how vulnerability is a good thing. How to be brave and recognize shame. So, um... I always feel more relaxed when I listen to hers as well, and she always makes it where you each episode is very hopeful. Yeah, one of Brene Brown's really phenomenal interviews was with Ibram X. Kendi, and the, it's like two brilliant minds in one podcast. So Kendi is a National Book Award-winning author in 2016 for Stamped from the Beginning and the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist. And this podcast interview tackles a much-needed conversation as well as makes you want to read all of Ibram X. Kendi's books. I've just checked out his audiobook, Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, which he wrote with Jason Reynolds, who is also amazing. And it's for teens, so it's very approachable. What's the premise of that one? It kind of goes from history, kind of starting at where racist ideas began, and kind of like unravel so it goes all the way back to like the 1400s but in a very clear timeline and jason reynolds rewrote his stamped from the beginning for with him for this book for the young adults and so jason reynolds he's very hip he's cool um and he reads the audiobook as well so it's a lot of fun he wrote um ghost and long way down i don't know if you've read anything i have by not jason. read either of those Jason Reynolds is highly recommended, so add that anything that he's written by to the list. Speaking of hip, you know who uh, appears to be fairly hip? Who? The Seattle Public Library. Oh, okay. They, Competition. They, they, ah. they are, I know, but you know, maybe I'm saying this in order to get us to do some kind of program like this. Okay. When I was young, and this was many moons ago, we had a thing called Dial-A-Story, and I'm pretty sure it was a local thing because it was a local number I called, but maybe it was a subscription service. I don't know. But you'd call the number, and they'd have a weekly story that they read to you. And Seattle Public Library, they have what they have called a lit line. And you can call this number. Uh-huh. 
Okay. That is a real live working phone number. So I am putting it out there on the internet, but it's already in news stories, so I don't feel bad about it. 206-386-4656. And they have everybody on that staff, ranging from the, the shelvers all the way up to to the, the top end, and they are doing a, uh, essentially, a, it's either a story, a poem, or a historical article. So they have gone out there, they're putting stuff out there, they're reading stuff, they're, you get a couple options, one to hear like a, a story, two to hit, to hear historical news, three if you want it not in English. Essentially, they've set up a voicemail that they've recorded in th- into so the time frames are limited to, to about two to five minutes long as far as length of story. And they have to, of course, because as we discussed previously, 95 years, mm. you have to use fair use content. So they are limited in what they can put on there. Um, so far, they've had uh, Casey at the Bat by Ernest Thayer. Uh, they've had uh, ni- an article on 1920s fashion trends in Seattle and waking from Drunken Sleep on a Spring Day by Lee Bai, and there's some Chekhov coming up, they, they have teased. So it's it's interesting how different, I mean, we're doing story times via YouTube and, and Facebook right now, but it's interesting how other libraries are going back to an older technology in order to keep connection with their, with their patrons. So you can... Listen directly from the phone, and I mean, because when I when I did it as a kid, there were these things called landlines. But I, I very I have very vivid memories of of dialing that thing repeatedly and listening to the the lady. I'm assuming somewhere down in Naples, Florida, that had recorded these things. And Aww. if I could ever find out who or where she was and she was still alive, thank you, lady. <laughs> it was nostalgic memories. It is, and it came back to me as I saw that. Awesome. My last share is. Have you seen the bird library? I have not seen a bird library. Is this... Okay. Eyes are closed. I'm entering the world of Steve Imagination. And there I am walking down the aisles. And there's all these birds just lined up on the shelf with little chains on their feet to keep them to the shelf so they can't (laughs) escape so that I can see the... Uruguayan pigeon-toed sparrow, mm-hmm. and it looks at me, and I go, "Tweet for me, bird," and it does. Am oh, I close? Not quite. Not that kind of bird library. Um, this one is more of a live feed, so it's a YouTube channel. So if you search YouTube for bird library, it's a bird feeder that looks like a tiny library, and it live streams all the time. There's a little circulation desk and painted books and bird seed, and real birds come to it, and then they're just eating the bird seed. Not the books. Yeah, they don't eat the books. The books are purely painted on, so no real books in the bird library, but it was created by an artist and librarian, Rebecca Flowers, with woodworker Kevin Quilina in Charlottesville, Virginia, and it's the perfect way to bird watch in the hot summer so you don't even have to leave your house. That sounds entertaining. It's delightful. All right, so I'm out of literary news. Me too. I think it's time for dog days of summer. Oh man, it's hot in here. Long. I feel like a dog on a porch, just kind of laying there in the sun, being sweaty and oppressed by this heat, but now I'm going to read or watch something. What you got? Well, I first picked a dog book and vacation because I thought of summer and travel with your dog. 
So Travels with Charlie in Search of America by John Steinbeck. It's been a while since I've read it, but I enjoyed it. And it was written Steinbeck's road trip in 1960. So he covers about 10,000 miles across the United States with his poodle Charlie. Um, but it's more about the experience of just traveling across America in the 1960. We want one more dogish book? Sure, you got another dog. I got a dogish book, but mine's not as happy-go-lucky as yours, sure. Tell me all about happy-go-lucky. Well, no, you've got to go. Okay, well, because mine shifts a little bit. Okay. Mine, you will know where to get the bottom of the barrel that I've gotten okay. with my dog book. So there's dogs, but what about worses? I'm sorry, what about whose? My grandmother asked me to tell you she's sorry by Frederick Backman is my next recommendation. This one also relates to the big wrap-up of the summer reading Imagine Your Story, and there's a big dog, or a worse. W- Wolfing horse? <laughs> I wonder if that's maybe how it came about, but it's like W-U-R-S-E. Okay. And it might eat chocolate biscuits, which is cookies. Okay. Chocolate's bad for dogs, though. The author knows this, but it's a worse, not a dog. (laughs) It came up often, I think, in the interviews. Um, But Backman is a Swedish author. Elsa is seven and best friends with her grandmother, who is a little eccentric. Her grandmother tells Elsa fairy tales about the land of Almost Awake. And when her grandmother passes away, she leaves a final quest for Elsa. Elsa must deliver letters from her grandmother that apologize to all of the people her grandmother has wronged. And it's a lot of people. A lot of letters. And Elsa learns that the stories parallel to the people that live in the apartment that she lives in. It's delightful. And there's a worse. I I now need to see pictures of what a worse is. (laughs) I think it's just a really big black lab but it's awesome i'm gonna i'm gonna google google worse soon he's like a dangerous here. dog at first like a little like scary like how so like you need to just give him all the cookies and then it might be nice oh. so it takes time to like build up a relationship with the worst so he's living a life of crime and mugging people for cookies and worst does a really good job of mugging people <laughs> for cookies well for my dog i went classic and by classic, I mean, because you know me, I live in, live in a terrifying place. Mm-hmm. And what is more terrifying than a St. Bernard? Oh, I love St. Bernards. Well, how about a St. Bernard with rabies? I don't like them. So let's go back to Stephen <laughs> King's classic, Cujo. Oh, you, <laughs> yes. went, you went mad dog. I did. I literally mean, mad dog I of summer. Did. I told you I was going to the bottom of the barrel, and this is where I live. I am in the gutter half the time. That movie scared me the so movie, much. Yes, and I could not read the book. The movie was so scary, and then I didn't like dogs for a really long time. And St. Bernard's are such fun, huggable puppies. <laughs> so much fluff. There is, and they're so kind and gentle and... Cujo, he used to be a big friendly dog, (laughs) lovable and loyal to his friends, the man, the woman, the boy, and everyone around him, and he was always trying to not be a bad dog. Uh Uh-oh. Yep. But all that ends on a day that this nearly 200-pound St. Bernard makes a mistake of chasing a rabbit into a hidden underground cave, setting off a chain of tragic events. Now Cujo is no longer himself as he's slowly overcome by a growing sickness, one that consumes his mind and even his once affable thoughts turn uncontrollable and inexorably toward hatred and murder. Ah! Cujo is about to become the center of a horrifying vortex that will inescapably draw in everyone around him a relentless reign of terror, fury, 
and madness from which no one in Castle Rock is truly safe. I think this wins for our our dog days of summer no. suggestion. Was this was this a competition? Cause <laughs> I now need a belt, then championship belt, <laughs> WWE style. Yes, yes. I, I, I mean, I broke mine into three different types. Because when we started talking about dog days, and mm-hmm. I, I told you that one word came to mind when I thought about dog days, and that was sultry, and that made me think of one movie in particular. Uh-huh. Throw Mama from the Train. It, uh, it is a comedic retelling of Strangers on a Train, which was a novel by Patricia Highsmith that you're probably more familiar with the Alfred Hitchcock movie. Throw Mama from the Train is a comedic retelling of that. Larry is an author with a cruel ex-wife, Margaret. He teaches a writing workshop where Owen, played by Danny DeVito, Uh, is one of his students, and he's fed up with his domineering mother, played by Anne Ramsey. And when Owen watches a Hitchcock classic that seems to mirror his own life, he decides to put the movie's plot into action and offers to kill Margaret if Larry promises to murder his mom. Dun-dun-dun. Hilarity ensues. I I, I feel like you have a lot of films that are like, hilarity ensues. (laughs) But, I mean, it's 19... 87 so i mean it's Danny devito it's billy crystal it's there is some hilarity that, is, that <laughs> they assumes actually... and the the way that this plays out and it is classic performances well this isn't quite sultry but okay. i wanted to add some heat as well so i recommend little fires everywhere by celeste ng um elena and her family live in this quaint town of shaker heights ohio and then artist mia moves into town with her daughter. And the two families and their teen children kind of become intertwined. And then tiny fires or secrets become to unravel. And there's also a literal fire. But I won't share too much else other than it was one of the best books I read in 2019. What genre would you say that is? I would just call it literature. Is it a heavy or a light read? More of a... It moves really quickly. It doesn't feel too heavy. But the topics can be heavier, but it didn't feel heavy. It was really, yeah. Gotcha. I asked because when I was doing my research, Mm -hmm. I stumbled across a book called uh, Books for Idle Hours. Okay. And it is a nonfiction book. Uh, The subtitle is 19th Century Publishing and the Rise of Summer Reading, Studies Mm -hmm. in Print Culture and Histories of Books. So it's basically a breakdown of how people's reading habits change during the summer months. And as things get hotter, our attention span for deep and philosophical or heavy topics tend to get put by the wayside and lighter things kind of pick up. You want to read for fun. Yes. And you're traveling for vacation and you're trying to relax. But it also, from my understanding, this book also will talk about how the publishing industry was trying to sell vacation-style books because they're always looking for some new hot way to market things. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm asking whether that one was heavy or light reading. I think you could still take it to like a vacation beach read if you wanted to, though I read it in the winter. You got another one? I just have what I'm currently reading now. Well, let's go into uncomfortable things because it's hot. (laughs) You go outside, it's sticky. It's miserable, and it's uncomfortable. And so I have two, I've got a movie and a book. 
the first, let's go with the movie. It is called The Pledge. Mm-hmm. It is a Jack Nicholson movie. He is a retiring police detective who makes a promise to a young murdered boy's mother that he will catch the killer. He's one day away from retiring. As a cop, you should never make a promise. And he makes that promise. And it is a very unsettling movie. I don't think I'm going to add that to my watch list. You should. Uh, The other thing was called A Head Full of Ghosts. Yeah, that sounded creepy too. (laughs) It's by Paul Tremblay. Um, The lives of the Barretts, a normal suburban New England family, are torn apart when 14-year-old Marjorie begins to display signs of acute schizophrenia. To her parents' despair, the doctors are unable to stop Marjorie's descent into madness. As their stable home devolves into a house of horrors, they reluctantly turn to a Catholic priest for help. Uh, And he suggests an exorcism, as he believes (laughs) the teen is the victim of a demonic possession. They also contact a production company that is eager to document their plight. Oh, wow. How I, was it? It is, when I say it's uncomfortable, it is unsettling. It will have, it had little goose pimples on my arms going. And I can say without a doubt, no hilarity ensues. <laughs> None. It is horror. Creepy. It is creepy, but it's good. Okay. It's good. I liked it. I liked okay. it a lot. I definitely, it made me read other books of his. But to end on a lighthearted note, I still am not going to escape crime, though. Okay. And I'm going to go with, it's a movie slash book. The movie has Tim Allen, Mm -hmm. um, Patrick Warburton, and a whole bunch of others. I can't um, remember all the people in it, but it's Dave Barry's Big Trouble. It's been a while. Dave Barry, he is now known more as a comedic writer, but he made his start in writing by being a columnist down in Miami. And this was his first novel. In a city of Coconut Grove, Florida, these things happen. A strangling ad man named Elliot Arnold drives home from a meeting with client with the client from hell. His teenage son, Matt, fills a Squirtmaster 9000 for his turn at a high school game called Killer. Matt's intended victim Jenny Herc. She is sitting down in front of the TV with her mom for what she hopes will be a peaceful evening for once. Jenny's alcoholic and secretly embezzling stepfather, Arthur, emerges from the maid's room, angry at being rebuffed. Henry and Leonard, two hitmen from New Jersey, pull up outside the Herc's house for a real game of killer, as Arthur's embezzlement apparently not having been quite so secret to his employers after all. And a homeless man named Puggy settles down for a night in a treehouse just outside the Herc's yard. In a few minutes, a chain of events that will change the lives of each and every one of them will begin and will leave some of them wiser, some of them deader, and some of them definitely looking for a new line of work. It is, you know, madcap, farcical, crime-driven fun. Okay. Any line of kind of Carl Hyacin. That or, makes uh, sense for for Dave Barry. Tim Dorsey. Mm-hmm. So it's wacky. I like Tim Dorsey's stuff a lot as well. And generally involving Florida people. And yeah, they're all Florida themed and a lot of them were journalists. Because we all know <laughs> Flor- Florida man is a real person. And <laughs> Dave Barry, Carl Hyacin, and Tim Dorsey all have made a very profitable career on writing about the florida man (laughs) yes that's my last recommendation well i'm currently reading wow no thank you essays by author and comedian samantha irby it's a new release and quite fitting title for 2020 she feels like a friend my sarcastic friend who would rather stay home than go out and there's a bunny on the cover what is this about it's just life essays and sometimes she'll like revisit stories from the past and she like relocated recently and is talking about 
moving from bigger cities like LA to Minnesota or somewhere small town. So that adjustment. That's similar to the the book that I stumbled onto because people know me here. They throw things at me. <laughs> now I'm curious. <laughs> I was currently between books while I waited for my interlibrary loan to yes. arrive. Please kill me the unauthorized oral traditions of punk rock. But in the meantime, somebody handed me a book called The Mysteries of Wrestling Saul. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Yes, yeah, that has your name like written all does. over I, it I in love, Sharpie. Very big. Yes, Steven. I love my dramatic retelling of, of moral lessons and Greek tragedies as told by people in spandex punching each other in the face. And this is stories from the inside the industry. So it's so is it true or is it their like stuff? <laughs> this is this is uh, their deepest darkest mysteries unsolved, telling you all those secret stories that you know probably should have stayed left behind the curtain as opposed to being brought out on the main stage in the middle of the squared circle. I got sucked into it. People threw it at me, and I was like, "Well, how could I not?" Well, they know you so well. They do. I, I, I make no mysteries about who or what I am. Well, you watching anything? I am, but it, it couldn't be further than wrestling no, well, you if know. you tried. So I just finished the new Emma film directed by Autumn DeWilde based on Jane Austen's 1815 novel, Emma. I loved it. It's really quirky. Um, Emma Woodhouse is such a brat, and I adore her. The stuff I'm watching right now, we... um, I know we have at least some seasons of the DVDs here Uh as far as Arrow. Mm, Yeah. I I don't know if we've quite made the, the step into the world expansion that CW has become. So I am going through, and my oldest is sitting down and watching the CW DC universe with me so we are bouncing between Arrow, Flash, Supergirl and DC's Legends of Tomorrow soon to add Black Lightning and something else I don't know I've got a website that we've gone to to watch it in specific orders so it is literally one episode of this one episode of that (laughs) oh now we're supposed to watch two episodes of this one of that one and it's it has been very time consuming because that's five tv shows of 42 minutes an episode oh but you guys are having fun yeah we're having fun and it's something he looks forward to and I really like um the DC on CW. I, I like the Supergirl is is a lot of fun. It, it is. His favorite, and i, I got to agree with him somewhat right now, is I've been really enjoying the Legends of Tomorrow just because mm-hmm. I like the time traveling and sci-fi aspect. I'll have to, I'll have to watch. Yes. And it involves everybody from shows that you already know and they all cross over. So you have to watch them all to know what's going on. <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm watching. I can continue to virtual programming. What virtual program do we have going on? So we've got more story times happening in the fall. Origami with Kat, our reference librarian. Can we just take a moment to, to talk about how awesome she is? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the link right now. It just got released this week, so July 22nd at 8 p.m. Yeah, the San Diego Comic-Con this year has gone virtual, basically. So the Eisner Awards... Mm-hmm. Or annual, and it's based off of Will Eisner, who is a comic book writer. Yep. And the spirit. Correct. And then, so they have a panel who every year they decide who wins the Eisner Awards. Excellence in comics. It's essentially the Oscars of comic books. Yes. We librarians and we all geek out over the Eisner Awards. It wasn't until 2005 
that a librarian was on the board, the panel board, for selecting the award-winning books. And from my understanding, it was because of Eisner himself demanding. He did. He really wanted a librarian, and it's really changed and transformed um, how the books have been judged and promoted, and librarians are awesome. But why are we talking about this? Because San Diego Comic-Con went virtual this year, and there is a panel. Mm Mm-hmm. Talking with previous judges. Yes, and there's all the library. It's 15 years of librarians being on, and I think it's a total of five on the panel. And one of those persons is our own. Kat Khan. So shout out to her. Shout out. Go put some views on that video. Because she rocks, we rock. Because she rocks, we vicariously rock through her. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. We'll have to bring her on at some point. We we do. I want to hear about all the stuff that she has done with the Eisners. I want to hear about all the stuff she does. Because she's multi-talented. I mean, you were were doing origami with her. Yeah, she... This is called a a circle back to why we were talking about (laughs) Kat. You have a video doing origami with her. Yeah, we've got several already on our YouTube channel, which is Northwest Regional Library System, Florida. And we're going to have more in the fall. So we just recorded them and we'll launch them soon. We'll have more Zoom book clubs and more teen programs. And we even have some Zoom webinars. Follow us at the Bay County Public Library Facebook or any of our library Facebook pages to get the Zoom registration links. We are sharing all of them across all of the library branches. And toot my own horn, I've got a video up there. Yes, you do. One of the most popular videos ever, I'm pretty sure. I know, there's sure. so many likes, so many clicks. <laughs> there's at least one, <laughs> because I put it there. It discussing our Dungeons and Dragons program that we're running starting this summer. Uh, the current videos that are up there are just a basic introduction to role-playing in general. But there is also one about crafting trees. It's pretty awesome. I saw the basic materials. I did not see where it was going. It looks legit awesome. It, it does. And the next one should be filming soon. Sometime soon. I would think next week. but Okay, we'll schedule get, that. Let's not get too specific here. <laughs> Um, what other, do we have any other virtual Oh, programs? I was just going to highlight the Zoom talks, that the webinars that require registration. Okay. There's still a lot of seats available, and we have an author talk coming up, John M. Dunn. He'll introduce his book, Drying Up the Freshwater Crisis in Florida, and it's on August 18th at 2 p.m. Central. Dunn is an author, journalist, and educator who offers a wake-up call and a hard look at Florida's water future. Drying Up received the Florida Nonfiction Bronze Medal in 2019 for the Florida Book Awards and the 2019 Florida Historical Society Stetson Kennedy Award on Florida's natural environment. We were going to have him visit close to Earth Day, but Earth Day was canceled this year, so we're doing it virtually. So that's why we postponed it from April to August. Everything got pushed back, and then I'm going to try a new thing, which will be leading some art history Zoom classes. I've got a a master in fine arts, and I've worked in art museums, and I have so many topics I want to cover. So if you want to hear my voice again, sign up for the Zoom art history, and I'll keep them going once a month for as long as there's interest. So, Stephen, this is about the time that we kind of decide what we want to look into for the topic of next podcast. What are you implying? Are you suggesting something? Maybe. I don't know. Is this some sort of conspiracy? Perhaps. Are you implying that things aren't the way they may seem? 
that maybe somebody's lying to us hmm. about everything. Everything. Anything. COVID. Moon landings. Um, Bigfoot? You know, time-traveling Sasquatches are a very real thing. I have seen at least one theater play about one. I think it's it's set. We gotta do conspiracies. So, conspiracy theories. I feel like we've had a thread of conspiracy theories in several of our episodes, so might as well make an official one. The Illuminati? <laughs> Dan Brown. You know, a lot of conspiracies turn out to be not so fake sometimes once you get back <laughs> to the lens of history. This is true. But this will be a great topic for that. So I can just go off, put on my tinfoil hat, and I'm going to have to have a tinfoil hat while we have I this know. conversation. Two little tiny tinfoil hats. Be- well, three, because three kittens. <laughs> can't leave just one. I-, I can't leave Barney just to be untinfoiled. <laughs> he needs his hat. He needs it. So. Meow, meow, meow. With that, it's time for us to to wrap up here. Oh yeah. Thank you for joining us at the BCPL Unstacked and stay tuned for more episodes. Stay safe and read, my friend. It's good for you. Bye!